Hey everybody, this is Viggy Parhampton, and you're listening to Horror Humor Hunger. I am so pumped to be back for season four, and a huge thank you to all my lovely listeners. Your support means so much to me. This season is all about laughter, so we're going to kick it off with the short story that serves as the inspiration. Um, I wrote The Laugh Box a few years ago, and I am thrilled to be able to share it with you now. Now, I just want to say, so writing a story and being able to perform it are two very different skill sets, so bear with me as I try to make this the most entertaining experience for you. There are some voices, there are some sound effects, um, but I have gotten a better microphone and audio setup, so that can only help. So without further ado, here is The Laugh Box. Enjoy! Nineteen seventy-one. But mom, if I have to do the dishes, then who's going to bake the cookies? The small girl with blonde pigtails said, her face expertly framed by the television screen. Oh, um, this was supposed to be baked? A slightly older boy came into view, scooping spoonfuls of cookie dough into his mouth, his cheeks puffed out like a chipmunk's. Preston pressed pause. See, we need something in there the producer said. Yeah, I see it, Charlie Douglas agreed, fingering a miniature rosary wedged in his pocket. I'm thinking a laugh that's more on the childish side, but maybe there's a, a big fat guy belly laugh thrown in there for good measure. Make it seem more like a, like a family show. It's so funny it makes old dad laugh just as much as little Tina. Preston leaned back in his chair, resting his chin on the plastic remote in his hand. I've got just the thing, Charlie said snapping the fingers of his free hand. You just let me take care of this, Preston. I know, I know, Charlie. You're the laugh master. Preston smiled and stood up. When can you get me the edited footage? Less than a week, I reckon, Charlie said, standing up himself and pulling his hand from his pocket. Excellent. Preston put down the remote on his heavy mahogany desk and reached out to shake Charlie's hand. Thanks again, Charlie. Sure, sure, Charlie said, pumping Preston's hand firmly. Be seeing ya. With that, Charlie swiveled on the heel of his loafer and padded out of the room, his feet sinking into the fluffy shag carpet. (laughs) Back in his studio, Charlie removed his patterned jacket and kicked off his loafers. He threaded his fingers together, turned them inside out, and gave them a good crack. The sound ripped the silence of the studio to shreds, and Charlie smiled. The laugh box was sitting against the wall on the far side of the room, the padlock on its case gleaming in the low light. Charlie walked over to the device, missing the shag carpeting of Preston's office as his soles slapped down on the bare cement. All righty, he said, crouching down. He pulled a wispy silver key out from under his shirt, where it hung on a delicate chain nestled in his chest hair. Lifting the padlock with one hand, he used the other to twist the key until he heard the pop. He shifted the lock out of the clasp and let the laugh box door swing open. The laugh box was about the size of a file cabinet, and kind of looked like one too. Its metal casing protected dozens of rows of knobs like typewriter keys, which, when pressed, would activate a specific laugh within the machine's depths. Douglas could play the keys like a piano, composing delicate sonatas and boisterous concertos of mirth, whatever the scene required. 
Preston scene required a family-friendly laugh, something that moms, dads, and kids could all hear themselves in, something that would inspire them to join in. The laugh box contained dozens of laughs, allowing Douglas to customize each and every track. Because of his invention, thousands of sitcom episodes were able to tell audiences at home when and where to laugh. Before recording for Preston's episode, Douglas wanted to test out some different combinations. His right hand wandered back to his pocket to grasp his rosary while his left hand fiddled with the keys. He pressed one key, labeled Tanya, and a woman's high-pitched screech soared out at him. (coughs) He grimaced and shook his head. Charlie kept testing her out, but Tanya was almost never the right choice, which was regrettable. When she was alive, her laugh had been like warm honey, golden, comforting, sweet. Next, he tried Felicity. He was trying to find something reminiscent of a little girl's laugh, and Felicity was usually the closest he could come. Her voice sounded 12, even though she'd been 21. Douglas had his principles. There were no children in the laugh box. When he pressed her key, a darling little giggle erupted from the box. (laughs) Douglas nodded his approval and made a mental note. Now for that big, fat guy belly laugh Preston had suggested. Douglas's eyes crawled over the keys, searching. His gaze lingered on the key labeled Phil, and he pressed one finger down. The laugh that resulted was booming, but had a hysterical edge that Douglas didn't much care for. (laughs) Pity, too. Phil had been a great belly laugher. He tried the key next to Phil's, Herbert and the deep, jiggly laugh he was looking for bounded out of the box. (laughs) It reverberated around the cement studio, echoing back and forth before slowly dying out. Perfect, Douglas said to himself, adding Herbert's name to his mental list. Herbert had been a good guy, even at the end, which was clearly reflected in the echo he left behind. Okay, Charlie thought, what's next? An understated woman's laugh, something to represent good old mom. He scanned the keys, finally stopping at the fourth to last one, Aurora, the most recent laugh he'd collected. He pressed the button, and a soggy, squelching sound erupted from the box, sending Charlie's hands flying to his ears. The laugh was horrible, wet, choking, a half scream. When the sound finally died and Charlie could once again hear his own thoughts, he made another mental note. Drowning is not an effective way to capture the highest quality laugh. Looking back down at the keys, he sighed. (sighs) He could use Irma, even though her nondescript laugh was nearly ubiquitous in Charlie's oeuvre. She'd have to do. (laughs) This is perfect, Charlie. Preston's voice drifted through the receiver. Cute, powerful, family-friendly. Glad I could help out, Charlie said, gripping the phone in one hand and his rosary in the other. Well, that's why you're the best in the biz, Preston said. Thanks again, Charlie. I'll talk to you later. Before Charlie had a chance to say anything more, Preston hung up. Charlie stood in his kitchen, the phone still pressed to his face, 
and listened to the flat dial tone as the sun set outside his window. On the wall opposite the telephone, a framed photograph of his daughter stared back at him, grinning. She'd had the most beautiful laugh of all, until the sickness took away both her ability and her desire to laugh. And Charlie had been too late. By the time he was ready to capture that piece of her, that warm, tumbling giggle, she was already gone. (laughs) I need something fresh, Charlie, Hugh said, his feet propped up on the massive walnut desk in front of him. I've got all kinds of laughs, not to mention all kinds of combinations of laughs, Charlie said. Hugh waved a hand dismissively. No, no, I know what you and that box of yours can do. I mean something really different. Something special. Something made just for my programs and my programs alone. A signature of sorts. Hugh looked off into the distance, tapping one finger against his stubbled chin. Maybe... Can I suggest something, perhaps? Charlie said, rubbing his palms together in that nervous gesture he had tried repeatedly to quit. Mm-hmm, Hugh said dreamily, his eyes still unfocused. With the laugh box, I can twist and tweak combinations of anything to get the unique sound. Hugh held up a hand. Let me stop you right there, Charlie. I don't want anything you've already canned. I want something new. A laugh that's like breaking glass and wind chimes and reminds you of a cake fresh out of the oven. Something silly, but restrained. Something musical. Something... Hugh trailed off again, his eyes coming back to rest on Charlie's face. Are you understanding me, Charlie? I... I think so, Charlie said, wedging his palms under his legs to still their relentless rubbing. Good, Hugh said, leaning back in his chair so far it squealed in protest. I don't need to remind you that I'm on the budget committee for the network, do I? Or that my satisfaction with your services will directly impact any future business you have with us? Charlie gulped, cowed. No, sir, he said softly. Excellent, Hugh said, smiling. But it was not a kind smile. How's a weak turnaround sound? This was not a suggestion. It was a demand. I can make that work, Charlie said. Great, you can go now, Hugh said, turning his attention back to a stack of papers on his desk as he shooed Charlie away with both hands. (laughs) Back in his studio. The cold from the cement flowed up through his heels and settled in his belly, where it made him shiver. A laugh like breaking glass and a cake fresh out of the oven? What would that even sound like? Didn't even sound pleasant. Charlie heaved a sigh and yanked open his refrigerator. The inventory was dismal. A carton of expired sour cream, four dented cans of Coca-Cola, a week-old box of takeout, escaping grease blooming in spots like mold on the white cardboard. In the fridge's door, a lone bottle of beer sat, inviting. Charlie grasped it around the neck and pulled it out. He popped the top off with his teeth, relishing the wince of pain, which was quickly dulled by the first crisp swallow. Exhaustion overwhelmed him, 
and he sat down at his kitchen table, looking out the window and hoping for rain. He always felt better when it rained. (laughs) The next morning, Charlie woke up in a panic, struggling to breathe. (sighs) After a few agonizing moments, he regained enough consciousness to realize that he'd slept on his stomach and he was pressing his own face into his pillow. He pushed himself up and away with such force that he nearly fell off the bed. Panting, (sighs) he sat back and wiped a palm across his sweaty brow. Nightmares had come to him again that night, twisting shadows swirling around him, their mouths open, their teeth sharp. Charlie could never tell if the noises that came from their throats were screams or laughs. He didn't think it really mattered. The message his subconscious was sending was clear. He couldn't just harvest people's laughs without some compensation. What he took from them was now a debt that would have to be repaid. Charlie knew this, knew it in the depths of himself that he didn't want to plunge, and it terrified him. His right hand went to his nightstand, where his rosary lay in a heap. He fingered it absently. His daughter once again came to mind. She'd been so beautiful, so full of a happy carelessness that Charlie now envied. Would she be proud of you now? A voice in his head asked, slippery and sinister. Would she be proud to call you her father after all you've done? After everything you've stolen? No, he thought. No. He laid his face back down on his pillow and wept until the down was soaked through and his cheeks were puffy and clown red. The laugh box almost glowed in the gray light filtering through the curtain windows. Charlie sat at the kitchen table and watched it with narrowed eyes, half expecting it to move like some kind of blocky robot. In his right hand was his rosary, clenched tightly. In his left hand was a heavy hammer, clenched tighter. He wasn't exactly sure how he'd gotten to this point. He'd been capturing and manufacturing laughs for years, finding just the right material and mixing it up to make it shine. All of his clients were thrilled with his work. He'd created an entirely new trope in television. Hell, he'd changed the way people watched their favorite programs. The box had brought him a lot of success, a trove of accolades. But it had done so at a price. A price Charlie was only just beginning to understand. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, Charlie thought. There's less fire in my eyes, less anger in my heart. The success doesn't mean much anymore, not when I'm staring into a fridge without so much as a TV dinner. What kind of life is this? What not worth living? The slippery voice piped up. Charlie knew the voice was in his head, but he could have sworn it was coming from the box. You're utterly alone, the voice continued. You're washed up, you're too weak to do what needs to be done to add to this catalog of souls. You're done collecting. You're no harvester. Not anymore. No, Charlie said aloud. I'm not done. I can keep going. Oh, really? Can you? Then what are you doing here when you should be out there finding the broken glass and warm cake laugh? Why are you sitting here like a doddering old fool? I'll go when I'm ready, Charlie mumbled, but his words sounded unconvincing, even to himself. I don't think so. I think you'll stay here and you'll start to think about things you shouldn't do. Bad things. Terrible things. Things with hammers. Things you can't undo. I've already done terrible things, Charlie said. 
Hot tears needled the backs of his eyes, which were still swollen from the morning sobbing. Because I had to. Did you have to? Did you really have to hold Aurora underwater until the last air bubble popped on the surface? Did you have to strangle Phil with an extension cord? Did you have to hit Irma over the head with a rock? Did you have to- Stop! Charlie cried, standing up abruptly and nearly sending the kitchen table flying. I had to. You know I did. That's not the truth, Charlie, and you know it. It's the truth, he cried, taking several stuttering steps toward the box. His right hand squeezed the rosary so hard the beads cut into his flesh. Would you swear to that on your daughter's grave, Charlie? At the mention of his daughter, Charlie lost all self-control. He plunged forward, raising the hammer above his head. Don't you talk about my daughter! Don't you say a fucking word! He screamed, tensing his shoulders to build up the maximum force he needed. He lifted the hammer an inch higher, sucked in a breath, and brought it down hard. (laughs) Hugh eventually called the cops after a week had passed and he'd heard nothing from Douglas. He had episodes primed to air, but they still needed their laugh tracks. What the hell was holding Charlie up? When the cops broke down the door to Charlie's studio, they found a macabre scene. Thick black puddles of blood dried stiff on the cement-like tar. A man, presumably Charlie Douglas, lying on the ground in the middle of the blackness. A hammer, coated with flakes of ochre, clutched in one fist, curled with rigor mortis. And the laugh box, waiting patiently in the corner, happily sporting its newest key, labeled Charlie. (laughs) Well, folks, that was the laugh box. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you stick around for the rest of this season. I have got some really incredible special guests, everyone from a filmmaker to a best-selling novelist to a paranormal investigator to a sex witch. And we're going to be talking about all things paranormal, all things horror, and with some humor sprinkled in, of course. Because after all, this podcast is called Horror Humor Hunger, and this season is inspired by laughter. So thank you so much, and I hope to see you back next week.